Thank you for that prayer, Kent. Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I would like to invite you to turn to the Gospel of John and Chapter 6. The Gospel of John and Chapter 6. And this morning we'll be looking at verses 60 through 71. John Chapter 6, verses 60 through 71. If you're watching on live stream this morning, we invite you, if you don't have a Bible, just to listen. Um, you'll be able to easily follow along with everything that I have to share this morning. Well, on this last Sunday of 2020, of uh, 2020, on this last Sunday, we come to the very end of John chapter 6. I'm preaching through the Gospel of John. Jesus has preached this great sermon in the synagogue at Capernaum, and this is what we read in verses 60 through 71. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. When we were working through John chapter 6, for a couple of Sundays, I shared with you the big view, the kind of flyover view of John chapter 6. And I shared with you that John chapter 6 focuses on the difference between a true disciple and a false disciple. That's what this whole chapter is about. A true follower of Christ and a false follower of Christ. One who endures faithfully and one who abandons Christ. One who believes and one who, in the end, does not believe. And as I shared with you, John chapter 6 is one of the most specific chapters in the New Testament dealing with this subject of true and false disciples. So that's what we're going to look at because this becomes especially poignant as we come to the end of the chapter. True disciples versus false disciples. But we're going to take it in reverse order because that's the way the passage deals with it. And so our first point this morning is false disciples. Jesus teaching at the synagogue in Capernaum. 
taught eternal truth that was very difficult for the secular mind to grasp. If you recall, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Jesus said, and we saw this two weeks ago, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And so they react. In verses 60 and 61, it says, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? As we saw earlier in the chapter, so we see again. There is a certain portion of this crowd, of these disciples, that are receiving his message only, only with secular eyes and hardened hearts. They are receiving this message only with secular eyes and with hardened hearts. As one writer said, it isn't that the message was hard. It was that their hearts were hard. But they say, this is a hard saying. Oh, they listened to the words of Jesus. And they said, who can listen to this? And Jesus said, are you offended at this? And of course, they were. And so in verse 62, Jesus says, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? If you're having a hard time with my words, what are you going to do when you see the Son of Man ascend to the right hand of the Father, the place of highest authority in all of the universe? In other words, Jesus is saying to them, if you have trouble with this message, if you have trouble with the words that I am sharing with you, you're going to have trouble with my entire ministry. You're going to have trouble with why the Father sent me to do his will and what that will and purpose is for me on this earth. And then verse 63. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about verse 63 and said we would come back to it and we're coming back to it now very important verse 63 in understanding the last part of John chapter 6 Jesus says it is the spirit who gives life capital F the Holy Spirit the flesh is no help at all the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life Words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. Jesus is saying to them, these are spiritual words that I have been speaking to you. I'm not speaking literally. Jesus was not saying in this sermon, I am literally a loaf of bread. Jesus was not saying in this sermon, I want you to actually eat my flesh and drink my blood. No, what he is saying is figurative. It is symbolic. It is to represent the seriousness and importance of what it means to receive Christ as Savior, to believe in him for eternal life. If you remember, I shared with you, we have no life in us. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. When we receive Christ as Savior, when we pray to invite him to come into our life, his life comes into us. He actually, by means of the Holy Spirit, enters into us. It's as if 
We eat his flesh and drink his blood. We take his life to become our life. His resurrection life actually comes into us. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. You can't do this in your flesh. It reminds us of what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Until you are born again, these things will not become clear to you unless you are willing to receive spiritual life. These words will seem dead to you. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And so Jesus challenges those who refuse to believe. And many of them walk away. In verse 64, Jesus says, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Isn't that interesting? Jesus knew all along that some were going to believe and some wouldn't believe, and he knew who they were. He knew who they were who were not going to believe, and he knew that one of them, one of his 12, was going to betray him, and of course that was Judas Iscariot. It reminds us of a passage that we looked at a number of months ago in John chapter 2 and verses 23 through 25. It says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, referring to Jesus, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. So interesting. Many believed in his name, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Wow. Do you know what that means? This is very serious. It means there are people who profess Jesus with their mouths but are never genuinely converted in their hearts. Many believed in his name, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. Why? Because he knew all people. There will always be people. There will always be people who profess to know Christ but have never been genuinely converted. Look at verse 65. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. He's basically restating what he's already stated in verse 44. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And he's saying the same thing here. The fact that you are unwilling to believe, the fact that your hearts are hard, the fact that you are rebelling against me is the evidence that the Father is not drawing you. It is the evidence that the Father is not working in your, in your heart. He's not working in you. And you need to stop rebelling. You need to stop resisting. And then we come to verse 66. Verse 66 is one of those sad verses in the Bible. There are verses like this that are scattered. Old and New Testament are just sad. And in verse 66 it says, After this, 
many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. There's one word in that sentence that I want you to focus on, and that is the word disciple. He doesn't say many of the crowd in general turned back and no longer walked with him. He said it's many of his disciples. Wow. These were people who said they believed in Jesus. These were people who followed Jesus. But when he gives this sermon at the synagogue in Capernaum, I want no more. It's too hard. It's not what I signed up for. And then walk away. Walk away. His disciples. Disciples. I want to share something with you this morning that I think is very important in all of theology and all of scripture. True, disciple, true disciples stay and follow. False disciples leave and go away. True disciples stay and follow. False disciples leave and go away. That's how you discern the true disciples from the false disciples. I want you to drop down with me. We're going to look at verses 70 and 71, and then we'll come back in a little bit to verse 67. Look at verses 70 and 71. Jesus answered them. He's talking to the twelve. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. I want you to think about what's being said in verses 70 and 71. Did I not choose you, the twelve? Judas is not just one of the disciples listening. Judas is one of the twelve. He was one of those who was with Jesus and was taught by Jesus and walked with Jesus. And then he says this in that second sentence. It's a hard one. And yet one of you is a devil. These are serious words. And yet one of you is a devil. Folks, I want you to understand something with me this morning. Judas Iscariot was never saved. It isn't like he came to really know Jesus and then he lost it. It wasn't like he was saved and then he lost it. No. He was never saved. He followed him with his lips, but his heart was far from him. He never underwent a genuine conversion experience and yet he walked and talked with Jesus and the apostle John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wants us to understand this isn't just any Judas because there are a number of Judases this is Judas the son of Simon Iscariot this is Judas Iscariot this is a very specific person and then it says this he one of the twelve one of the twelve was going to betray him. There is a verse that I have shared with you many times. It, is going to be on the, it isn't going to be on the screen this morning, but I've shared it with you a lot of times and will probably continue to do so. This is a verse that you need to have, if you will, in your arsenal as a Christian. You just need to hold on to this verse. It is 1 John 2.19. The Apostle John in 1 John, says this about false disciples. He says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. 
in every Bible-believing church, in every place around the world, there will always be people who profess to know Christ but have never had a genuine conversion experience. It's kind of scary. And when you see someone walk away from the faith, abandon it completely, you will know this. They were never saved in the first place. They never went through a conversion experience. True disciples stay and follow. False disciples leave and go away. And if you live long enough, you will meet some of these people. You will know of some of these people. I have people say to me, I can't believe it. He, he used to be in Christian ministry with me in the church. He used to memorize Bible verses, and now he doesn't believe anything ever anymore. Oh, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Because that person was never saved in the first place. I want to read this. I think I want to go back and read this. I think I forgot to. Just a quote from John MacArthur about Judas Iscariot. He said, Judas Iscariot is the ultimate example of a false disciple. He was with Jesus. He walked and talked with Jesus. He was counted as a follower of Jesus. But in the end, he betrayed his master. Wow. He was with Jesus. He walked and talked with Jesus. He was counted as a follower of Jesus. But in the end, in the end, he betrayed his master. the ultimate example of a false disciple. Well, that brings us to our second point this morning. We've looked at false disciples. Now let's look at the true disciples. Simon Peter responds to Jesus with a profound question and a profound statement. It's amazing what Peter says here. But let's go back to verse 66 because I want to set the stage for this. I want you to see in your hearts, in your imagination, what's going on. Verse 66 again, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? So I want you to think of this. He's preaching this message in the synagogue and some are just walking away. They're just walking away. And Jesus looks at the twelve and says, Do you want to go too? Do you want to walk away as well? And I want you to notice what Peter says. First part of verse 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? You know, in essence, Jesus asks all of us the same question he asked the twelve. Do you want to walk away? Do you want to walk away from the faith? Are you going to stay with me? And we think of what Peter says. Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else are we going to go? No one ever loved like you loved. No one ever taught like you taught. No one ever did miracles like you've done, where, where are we going to go? What else is there? You know, there will always be, in the world, at least in this earthly world, there will always be atheists. 
and agnostics and secularists. There will always be critics of the Christian faith and of the Bible. There will always be those who are skeptical of the Christian faith and of the Bible. But have you ever wondered? They reject what we offer. They reject the message we share with them. But what's their alternative? Where are they going to go? What are they going to believe? I mean, what are they offering instead of Christ? What are they going to say? Well, you live a meaningless life on this earth and then one day you die like an animal and you're annihilated forever. Well, that's really attractive. I mean, who wouldn't want that? Lord, to whom shall we go? And then Peter says this, you have the words of eternal life. You're the only person in the entire universe who has the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Master, there's nowhere else for us to go. There is no plan B. There is no alternative. We have believed you, and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is a great statement. He's saying, we believe with all our hearts that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Chosen One the Savior who was to come into the world. Many have compared Peter's statement here with his great confession in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew 16, Jesus says to his disciples, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, your Messiah. You're the Savior. And that's exactly what he is saying here. Others were walking away. Peter says, there's nowhere else to go. You are eternal life, and we are committed to you. Well, I shared with you the last couple of Sundays that I wanted to use this message on this last Sunday of 2020. I want to use this message to look back and to look ahead. So as we reflect on this past year and look ahead to next year, we, we need to think carefully about Peter's words. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know, it was interesting. I was looking back at my notes this week. And last year at approximately this time, on the last Sunday of 2019, my message was, at the end of last year, in Christ, change is always possible. Some of you might remember it. In Christ, change is always possible. And I preached from Joshua chapter 14 and verses 9 through 11, and we looked at the life of Caleb. The Bible says that Caleb was a man who was wholly devoted to the Lord. He said, at 85 years of age, I'm just as strong as I was at 45. And they were conquering the land of Canaan. And he said, I want the land that God promised me through Moses. So give me the hill country and I'm going to go in there and conquer it. A man of great faith, a man of great trust. And I said to you last year at this time that we were coming to not only the end of a year in 2019, we were coming to the end of a decade. And as we looked at 2020, we were not only coming to a new year, 
we were coming to a whole new decade filled with hope, filled with opportunity. And I said, you can be like Caleb. You can if you surrender to Christ. If you trust him, if you trust Christ to live his life through you, any of us can be like Caleb and live in victory in Christ. But as I shared those words with you a year ago, none of us had any idea what 2020 was going to hold for us. We couldn't even have imagined what was going to happen in the year to come. Those words are still true. But oh my, could have never anticipated this. But we have learned some very important lessons in 2020. We have. And one of those lessons, one of those most important lessons is this. We have learned again that this earthly life is extremely fragile and unpredictable. We know that intellectually, but it has really come true for us. This earthly life is extremely fragile and unpredictable. I hear people saying this, I can't wait for 2020 to be over. That's what I hear people saying. I can't wait till this year is over. Be careful. Be careful. 2021 is going to bring its own challenges. You don't know what's going to happen in this next year. Above and beyond the pandemic, who knows? You as an individual go, could go through life-altering, life-changing circumstances that you never anticipated in the year to come. We don't know. We learn again that we cannot put our trust in the things of this life. For example, we cannot put our trust in politics. As we look back at this year, we will, besides the pandemic, we will remember this year as a year of great political unrest, a year of great political turmoil. We have seen our nation divided unlike it's been in many years. We've seen great political upheaval. Al Mohler is famous for saying this, if you put your trust in politics, it'll break your heart every time. Every time. Because it will never always turn out the way you want it to. Let me give you another example. We can't put our trust in normal. I hear people saying, oh, I can't wait till we get back to normal. When are we going to get back to normal? It's almost as if we're worshiping at the altar of normal. I want to get back to normal. This theoretical thing that, that we're hoping for. But let me tie this in with what I shared with you last Sunday. So what are you going to do until normal comes back, whatever that is? What are you going to do, waste your life? Sit around complaining and griping? Brothers and sisters, we need to seize the moment. This is our time to live right now. We can't be waiting for some conceptual normal that's off in the future. This is our time to pursue Christ. This is our time to change. This is our time for ministry. This is our time for opportunity. 
And who knows what normal's going to be like when it does come again? I do believe we're going to get beyond this pandemic. I do. I shared that with you last week. But I don't know what normal's going to be like. Could it be that normal will never be the same again, and that's a good thing? Is that possible? Is it possible that normal will never be the same again, and that's a good thing? Could it be that God is going to open up for First Baptist Church new opportunities, open new doors, open new windows of ministry, things we never thought about, things that we never saw before? Is God going to open our eyes up? Could it be the same for you as an individual? Could it be that you will see new opportunities? You will have new doors opened in your life. Could it, be, could it be possible that you will look back someday and say, I grew more in Christ in 2020 and 2021 than at any point in my life. Maybe God wants to use all of this to strip us of sins in our life, to strip us of our self-reliance so that we're just trusting in him. Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. For thousands of years, men and women have been looking at this earthly life and asking this question. Is this all there is? Is this it? Oh, we see it in the book of Job. All throughout the book of Job. Fascinating book. One of the oldest books in the Bible besides the book of Genesis. We see it in the book of Ecclesiastes. See Solomon grappling with. Is this it? Is this all there is? Well, let me tell you, Jesus answers that question with a resounding no. This is not all there is. In Christ, there is brand new life. In Christ, you can become a new creation. In Christ, there is abundant life. There is eternal life. There is everlasting life. So as we look at the year ahead, let us all say with Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else can we go? You, only you, have the words of eternal life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that in Christ we have the words of eternal life. Thank you that by your grace we have believed and have come to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God. Oh, Father, as we close out one year, and approach a new year, remind us that no matter what lies ahead, Jesus will be the solid rock and the firm foundation that will keep us strong. And he will. He will guide our steps and direct our path. And we pray in his name. Amen.